you're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Matchin once wrote that strange things are lost and forgotten in obscure corners of the newspaper. Welcome to Forgotten Darkness, a podcast that will aim to prove that that statement is true. pretensions of Cornelius Agrippa and other famous dabblers in the occult science than latter times have given them credit for, the Vancouver Daily World writes in the opening lines of its December 5th, 1889 article, headlined, Is it Beelzebub? The story gives the particulars of a ghost which haunted Dag Farm in Canada. The story of the Dag ghost can be seen, in many ways, as an almost exemplary case of a poltergeist. Almost all of the common phenomena associated with those ghosts are present. In many ways, it closely resembles the more famous case of the Enfield poltergeist. In 1889, the Dags lived in a farmhouse near Shawville, a small town which, despite its English name and the English names of all the principal players, was, or rather still is, as the home is still there and inhabited to this day, in southern Quebec about 40 miles west of Ottawa. Living there were 30-year-old George Dagg, his 26-year-old wife Susan, and their three children, 5-year-old Mary, 4-year-old Eliza, and 2-year-old John. Also living with the Daggs was a Scottish orphan girl, born in Glasgow, that they had adopted by the name of Dinah McLean. She was usually said to be 11 at the time, but it seems that she was actually 12, turning 13 during during the destructive events. After the outbreak of the poltergeist activity, George's mother and father also moved into the farmhouse. The manifestations began, as such things often do, innocuously enough. On September 15, 1889, George Dagg gave his wife $7, a $5 bill, and a $2 bill. She put these two bills in a drawer. The following day, a boy by the name of Dean, who had been hired to do various jobs around the farm, came to Mr. Dagg and gave him the $5 bill, which he said he had found lying on the floor near the wood stove. It was later found that both bills were missing from the drawer in which they had been placed, and later, upon further investigation, the $2 bill was found concealed under the blankets of Dean's bed. Mrs. Dagg later discovered feces smeared on the floor and walls, containers of milk upturned, and butter thrown about, whereupon Mr. Dagg, suspecting Dean of these destructive pranks and of thievery besides, had him arrested. Soon after, 
While Mr. Dagg was working in the fields, his father came over to the house. While he was there, a window shattered, quote, as if someone had struck it from the outside. John Dagg, George's father, left the house and hid behind a tree stump to see whether somebody was breaking the windows. He saw nothing, even after he repositioned himself in the barn, getting an aerial view. But the windows were still breaking, and after a moment, Mrs. Dagg came out and said, Father, you may as well come in, as the glass is still breaking. In the end, eight windows in the house were shattered in this way. It was soon after this that the outbreak of fires was first noticed. As many as eight separate fires broke out each day, the curtains, unworn clothing, and other things burning. On one occasion, a large rock was thrown through the front door, striking Mary Dagg on the chest. In the manner of many projectiles thrown by poltergeists, however, this didn't seem to hurt quite as much as it should have. In This House's Haunted, his study of the Enfield poltergeist, Guy Lyon Playfair describes this phenomenon as being almost similar to the objects being carried by an invisible hand, rather than truly thrown. One day, Dinah McLean felt her hair being pulled. She started to scream in pain, and when the rest of the dags came to see what was the matter, they found her braid ripped off, hanging on by only a few hairs. It looked as if it had been cut or sawed. The same day, the two-year-old son, John, also started screaming that his hair was being pulled, and it was found that his, as well, was cut off in patches. On one occasion, George's mother was straightening up in one of the bedrooms, when Dinah said, Oh, grandmother, see the big black thing pulling off the bedclothes. When her grandmother turned and saw only the blankets being pulled off the bed, she said she didn't see the form, and asked Dinah where it was. Why, don't you see him? she replied. He's jumping over the bedstead. The grandmother then gave Dinah a stick and told her to hit the ghost. George's mother, as well as two neighbor boys who were in the house, said that when Dinah struck at the spirit, a noise like the squealing of a pig was to be heard, whereupon the girl said the ghost vanished. On another occasion, Mary saw the ghost, dressed all in white, putting sugar into the oven. Wouldn't you like to go to hell with me? it asked. A priest named Horner came to the farmhouse to attempt to exorcise the apparently fiendish spirit from the home. While he stood at a table talking with the family, his book containing the rites of exorcism vanished from it. He later was to find the book in the oven, whereupon, convinced beyond doubt of the demonic nature of the spirit, he fell to his knees and prayed for fully a half hour. George Dagg went to visit an old woman named Green, who lived nearby, and who was known as the Witch of Plum Hollow. After communing with the spirits, the woman told George that the problems afflicting the household were the result of a curse by a widow who lived near the house with her two children, a curse targeted at Dinah McLean. Mr. Dagg quickly identified this woman as a Mrs. Wallace, a woman with whom he was having a dispute of ownership over a piece of land. A neighbor named Charlie Harris, who was 15 at the time of the ghost affair, recalled in 1959 that Mrs. Dagg told me somebody told her that if she killed a black lamb and boiled the blood on the stove with needles, it would bring out the witch. She said Mrs. Wallace came over to the fence, but she had to take the pot off the stove because the minister came in. 
Charlie also recounted a time when he poked his head in one of the bedrooms, and a potato was tossed at him, striking him in the face. Get out of here, Charlie Harris, you sneak you, the spirit called. A journalist, artist, and amateur psychologist named Percy Woodcock came to the house to investigate the happenings on November 17, 1889. After hearing what had taken place so far, he met with Dinah, who he was told was the central figure in the phenomenon, and who he said looked as if she was wasting away. A rosy-cheeked, happy girl at the beginning of the manifestations, by this time she was thin and gaunt, looking as if she hadn't slept properly in quite some time. She took him to the attached barn and said, Mister, are you here? After a few moments, Woodcock said, he heard a rough voice reply. Surprised at the voice that was speaking to him in the darkness, he asked the apparent ghost who it was. It answered, I am the devil. I'll have you in my clutches. Get out of this or I'll break your neck. He had been informed by the Dags that one of the phenomena which took place in the house was the discovery of several written messages scattered about. In response to this, Woodcock got a paper and pencil and placed them on a bench, entreating the spirit to write some sort of message he could show to other people to prove its existence. It was said that the pencil levitated and began to write, and when he read the message, Percy said, I asked you to write something decent. The spirit replied, I'll steal your lead pencil, and then the pencil was thrown at him. When he returned to the house, Woodcock engaged in a series of questions and answers with the spirit. What are your reasons for thus persecuting the Dag family? Mrs. Wallace sends me. Will your engagement with Mrs. Wallace soon cease? Won't tell you. Shut up. You meddle with a black art. I'll break your neck, for I'm the devil, the son of the blessed. No, you won't. Nor am I afraid of you. Answer me civilly. I am not your enemy. The answer to this was not recorded, but was said to be obscene. Now, spirit, be a decent fellow and use better language. I will, but you keep me here talking all the time. I'm tired. Go to Mrs. Wallace and make her confess her sins. She's crying and she's waiting for you, she and the other two. I will soon go. No, you won't. You say you will, but you won't. George, I like you. I'll talk to you, not to him. So on this, Mr. Dagg took over the questioning. Why have you been bothering me and my family? Just for fun. It was not very much fun when you threw a stone and struck little Mary. Poor wee Mary. I didn't mean to hurt her. I intended it for Dinah, but I didn't let it hurt her. If it was only for fun, why did you try to set the house on fire? I didn't. The fires were always in the daytime and when you could see them. I'm sorry I did it. At this, a brother of George Daggs entered the house. On entering, he gave some candy to the children. Whereupon the spirit replied, I don't like Dag's brother, because he won't give me no candies. Percy Woodcock resumed the questioning. What were you doing when Dinah was away? Why didn't we hear you? I wanted the people to think it was Dinah. Shame on you. If you don't behave better, I'll take Dinah away. If you take Dinah away, I'll try it on little Mary. A neighbor named Arthur Smart then entered the room. The spirit said, Arthur, you're a wee black snake. In the evening, Percy Woodcock went over to Mrs. Wallace's house, and after explaining to her the situation, 
and that she had been blamed for the spirit's appearing, brought her over to the Dag farm. Immediately upon her arriving, the spirit cried out, Old Mother Wallace, and then proceeded to call her names. Percy then said to the spirit, Here, now, you have made charges against this woman behind her back. Now make them to her face. Then the spirit said to Mrs. Wallace, Didn't you and Maggie and Willie go to the swamp and bury a black art book that you got in Montreal? Mrs. Wallace replied, No, I did not. You did? I say I did not. You lie. Wallace and the poltergeist argued for a time, the ghost eventually saying, Oh, don't bother me so much, you make me lie. Hey, did you know that in the original Bloody Mary ritual, you had to walk backwards up a flight of stairs? Oh really? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, and the purpose was to catch a glimpse of your future husband's face. Really? I wish I could find my future husband that easily. Honestly, all I really want to do now is drink a Bloody Mary. Well, how about we go make some Bloody Marys while you tell me more fun facts about Bloody Mary? Join us every week at Booze and Spirits, where we make our favorite drinks and tell each other our favorite paranormal stories. Find us under Booze and Spirits on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, and Podbean. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Booze and Spirits. The voice then proceeded to say that it was the two children who were cursing the Dags, not Mrs. Wallace. Percy said he would go over to the house to retrieve them, with the spirit re- responding, They won't come. Nonetheless, he took Mrs. Wallace home and returned with the children. A similar cycle of denials by the children that they were responsible, followed by the spirit insisting that they were, followed, and eventually it told George Dag that it would take him out the next day and show him where the book was buried. Soon after this, though, it reversed its statement and said that the book could not be seen as it had been burnt. The spirit told Percy Woodcock that it would leave the following night at midnight. When asked why it didn't just leave now, it replied that as the next day was a Sunday, a lot of people would be there, and it wanted to try to convince non-believers. Then he left and went with a neighbor to his house. Woodcock came back the next day in the morning, as did many other people, as the spirit had predicted. The voice soon began to manifest itself again, and all that day, the spirit was of a vastly different temperament from usual, making humorous remarks, answering questions freely, and displaying a knowledge of everything going on in the area. It was also reputed to sing, another favorite activity of speaking poltergeists, like Jeff the Talking Mongoose or the Bell Witch. It was, it was also somewhat like those in that its activities were at first aggressive, annoying, and even offensive, later mellowing out and seeming almost friendly. When asked about this, the spirit replied, I am not that person who used the dirty language. I am an angel from heaven, sent by God to drive away that fellow. On one occasion that day, a stranger asked the ghost some question and received an answer corresponding to a conversation that he had had with his daughter on her deathbed. Then Woodcock mentioned its behavior of the previous day, and it once again began to lose its temper and revert to that previous personality. Percy Woodcock wrote up a report of the occurrences at the Dag household, and it was signed by 17 people of the area who confirmed the particulars contained in it. The report mentions a few happenings not described in other accounts of the haunting, 
but which he was told by the Dags themselves. We, the undersigned, solemnly declare that the following curious proceedings, which began on the 15th day of September 1889, and are still going on this 17th day of November 1889, in the home of Mr. George Dagg, a farmer living seven miles from Shawville, Clarendon Township, Pontiac County, Province of Quebec, actually occurred as below described. First, that fires have broken out spontaneously throughout the house, as many as eight occurring on one day, six being in the house and two outside. That the window curtains were burned whilst on the windows, this happening in broad daylight, whilst the neighbors and family were in the house. Second, that stones were thrown by invisible hands through the windows, and as many as eight panes of glass being broken. That articles such as a water jar, milk pitcher, a wash basin, cream tub, butter tub, and other articles were thrown about the house by the same invisible agency, a jar of water being thrown in the face of Mrs. John Dagg, also one in the face of Mrs. George Dagg, whilst they were busy about their household duties, Mrs. George Dagg being alone in the home at the time it was thrown in her face. That a large dining table was thrown down. A mouth organ, which was lying on a small shelf, was heard distinctly to be played and was seen to move across the room onto the floor. Immediately after, a rocking chair began rocking furiously. That a washboard was sent flying down the stairs from the garret, no one being in the garret at the time. That when the child Dinah is present, a deep gruff voice like that of an aged man had been heard at various times, both in the house and outdoors, and when asked questions, answered so as to be distinctly heard, showing that he is cognizant of all that has taken place, not only in Mr. Dagg's family, but also in the families in the surrounding neighborhood, that he claims to be a disincarnated being who died 20 years ago, aged 80 years, that he gave his name to Mr. George Dagg and Mr. Willie Dagg, forbidding them to tell it, that the intelligence is able to make himself visible to Dinah, Little Mary, and Johnny, who have seen him under different forms at different times, at one time as a tall, thin man with a cow's head, horns, tail, and cloven foot, at another time as a big black dog, and finally as a man with a beautiful face and long white hair, dressed in white, wearing a crown with stars in it. Percy Woodcock left the farmhouse at about 10.30 p.m., with a dags and various neighbors giving an account of what took place after his departure. The ghost singled out two neighborhood priests named Naylor and Ducat, and a newspaper editor also in attendance, and said that these three were unbelievers. They didn't think it really existed, it said, and all three believed that the dags themselves were responsible for what was going on. It would show them, it said. A Baptist minister named Bell was sent for, and he said that he would have no traffic with evil spirits, whereupon the ghost called him a coward. Beyond this, it told Bell that he was all talk and that he should stop preaching. Bell led some of the attendees in prayer and attempted to exorcise the ghost from the home. The spirit laughed at him and told him to leave. Bell left, and the ghost told the remainder, You don't believe that I am an angel because my voice is coarse. I will show you that I don't lie, but always tell the truth. After that, its voice was not gruff, but high-pitched and musical. It sang some hymns and finally vanished at three in the morning. Despite its early statements that it would leave, it promised to return again at eleven o'clock the next morning to say goodbye to the children. Percy Woodcock came back the next day to say goodbye before he left for his home. 
He said that while conversing with Mr. and Mrs. Dagg, Mary came in and said, Oh, Mama, the beautiful man, he took little Johnny and me in his arms, and oh, Mama, I played on the music, and he went to heaven and was all red. Mary and Dinah said that a man with a, quote, lovely face and long white hair, wearing a gold crown with stars on it, had stooped down and picked up Mary and Johnny. Dinah also said that the man had said that Woodcock didn't believe that he was an angel, but that he would show him that he was, and that he then rose in the air, was enveloped in flame, and disappeared. Dinah McLean seems to have left the custody of the Dags the following Saturday. Some accounts state that she was adopted by Percy Woodcock. Others state that she was working on another farm in the neighborhood when she disappeared mysteriously. But despite all this documentation of the activities on the Dag farm, there was a good deal of skepticism, particularly in the years afterwards, with the benefit of hindsight. It was said to have been relatively common knowledge, being confirmed by the Dags themselves, that Percy Woodcock was less than honest in his recounting of the manifestations. Most notably, it was mentioned that only he witnessed the phenomena of the pencil, and that it could be called into question whether that entire episode had even taken place at all. Another accounting says that all the instances of stone-throwing were likewise a fabrication. The Ottawa Journal, originally credulous, said on November 29, 1889, that, quote, The voices proceeded from the girl Dinah, and that certain, if not all, of the members of the family were in collusion with her. The familiar water-in-the-mouth trick said to have been used to determine whether the voices during the Enfield Poltergeist case were indeed coming from Janet Hodgson was used twice in this instance as well. It was said that, on, that the first time, Dinah swallowed the water, and at the second time, when she was told not to, the spectral voice only mumbled incoherently. It was also said that the spirit said nothing which would have been unknown to the Dags, despite what was widely reported. It was also said that on the day on which the voices were most active, that final Sunday, Dinah sat alone in a bedroom, huddled on the bed in such a way that her mouth wasn't clearly visible. When anyone attempted to investigate this further, the spirit would mutter, Get your long nose out of that or something else to that effect. As support for their assertion that the Dags aided in the hoax, the Ottawa Journal said that the family, quote, thwarted all attempts at investigation of the phenomena. The newspapers, in fact, were quite hostile to the belief in ghosts, stating that, quote, the affair libels our rationality. It is a slanderous reflection on our intelligence. Thomas Dag, one of the sons, said that he was always told that the phenomenon never made itself known unless Dinah was around. Another retrospective, however, states, There was one feature of the mystery which was hard to lay to the orphan. If she had anything to do with the strange noises, she could hardly have controlled the action of the stove oven. It appears that meats, pies, etc., when put into the oven, would burn to a crisp, though only left in the right amount of time. Charlie Harris, the young neighbor boy struck by a potato, expressed a different theory years later. I always claimed, and my father helped me out in my belief, that Mrs. Dagg made up the stories to chase old Mrs. Wallace off the farm next door so she could get it cheap. Percy Woodcock is another accused of faking the events. Some feel that it is not a coincidence that the manifestations ceased once Woodcock showed up. In the following years, 
George Dagg put the story of the ghost behind him as best he could. Daughter Eliza died tragically only a few weeks after the conclusion of the spectral manifestations at the house, having been accidentally set aflame in the backyard by a kettle of boiling soup. In the years after the ghost ceased to manifest, the Daggs had five more children. One of these, William, dying in World War I. According to some, this death was, was predicted by the ghost. He eventually moved to nearby Portage du Fort, buying a farm within the city limits, and finally became the mayor of, the, of that city. His obituary in 1938 doesn't mention the ghost story in which he was a figure some 50 years before, but I wonder whether the fact that he's referred to as, quote, a moving spirit in one passage is a veiled reference to the tale, or maybe I'm just reading too much into it. I do definitely get the impression that at least some of the phenomena were faked by Dinah. Incidents like the water test, during which the ghost could speak only in an unintelligible mumble, seem to suggest that at least the voices may have been a put-on. Some of the other happenings, though, such as the thrown rocks, fires, or the breakdown of machinery in a mill belonging to George Dagg, which he attributed to the spirit, seem like they might be less likely to have been the work of an 11-year-old girl. My feeling overall is that it might have been a legitimately unexplained occurrence, one which might have been furthered by the hoaxes of a young girl, similarly to the aforementioned Enfield case. The house is still there, and may still be haunted. While the residents who lived at the house at the time of the 1959 retrospective hadn't experienced anything, the people who live in the house currently say that you sometimes hear noises in the roof and walls, that you'll sometimes hear people walking up and down the stairs, that doors will open and close, and that occasionally a figure dressed in white is seen. Perhaps the dag ghost, despite its fiery exit, is still in the house. Or, perhaps not. And that's the end of this episode. As always, a list of sources consulted for this episode can be found in the show description, and photos associated with this week's story will be on my Instagram at Forgotten Darkness. If you have a question, comment, or if you know a lesser-known story that you'd like to see covered, leave a comment on the podcast page, post to the Facebook page at Forgotten Darkness Podcast, or send it to our email at ForgottenDarkness77 at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at Forgotten Darkness Podcast, and you can DM me ideas there. I also now have a Patreon at patreon.com slash forgdark. That's F-O-R-G-D-A-R-K. There's links to all these pages in the show description as well. And so, until next time, this is Andrew, signing off.
This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.